is E.K. Amati. This story is called While Trying to Save Another, from the book collection Machine of Death. For more information, please visit machineofdeath.net. While Trying to Save Another, by Delizo Chaponda. 101. It was one of those days again. The eight of them traveled by bus, car, or walked to the church. They left coats on hooks and made their way to the basement, where coffee, tea, cookies, and Reverend Seamus Brooker waited for them. The underweight clergyman shook Raymond and Krishna's hands. He hugged Julie. Annabelle got a kiss on both cheeks, Hannah a kiss on one cheek. Timothy, Obile, and Benito were late, so they got a nod. The Reverend frowned upon lateness. There'll be one more today, he warned them. I told her to come at half past, so we'll be able to talk. Couldn't she join another group, Timothy objected. It had taken him over a year to get comfortable with the people in the room. She's Iranian. She'll be more than welcome, Krishna said firmly. Of course he did. In a few years, he'd be killed by a group of skinheads with knives and baseball bats. Racism was a soft spot, to say the least. He gave Timothy a challenging glare. I was just asking, Timothy gulped down his coffee and poured a refill. Don't be confrontational, the Reverend interrupted. Discomfort any of us feel with the introduction of a new member should be discussed. I don't have a problem, Timothy replied. I do, said Julie. Krishna lashed out at her, assuming her reason was race. She shouted back. Raymond, who had a crush on Julie, joined him. Soon there was lots of yelling and Timothy's mind wandered. He couldn't be asked to join in. He was staring at the doorway, thinking about what movie he'd seen on the weekend when she arrived. She was head to toe in golf get-up. Leather boots and thick soles, a black velvet corset, silver chains, and bracelets dripping off her. Timothy smiled. Here comes an awkward silence. His prediction turned out to be as accurate as any of the death machines. Ten seconds later, the others realized they were being watched. Isma! Reverend Seamus Brooker's lips kept moving, but no more words came out. Benito, class clown, came to the rescue. Whatever your old ED group is used to, forget it. We communicate here by insulting each other. Okay, you're ugly and you smell bad. Everyone laughed. Some of them were faking. Timothy wasn't. Isma took some tea and cookies and then the real session began. My name is Reverend Seamus Brooker and I have 270 days left. I'm going to be hit by a car. I'm Annabelle. Cancer, 410 days. Obile, I'm the record holder. Some cunt's going to shoot me in the head in 49 days. Timothy got up. 101 here, just like the Dalmatians. I'm going to die in a fire while trying to save another. What? Isma exclaimed. What's wrong? asked the Reverend. She spoke slowly. She was visibly trembling. I'm going to die in 101 days as well. In a fire. 100. Later, Timothy and Isma sat outside on a bench. Isma's hands clenched and unclenched, clenched and unclenched. Meeting you, it makes me feel like a puppet on strings. It suddenly feels more real, doesn't it? She looked up at the crucifix above the doorway. He has a sense of humor, doesn't he? When did you find out you were an ED? Timothy popped a cookie, stolen booty, into his mouth. Six years ago, after hearing a war hero talk on television, he said to the press that he wasn't courageous. He admitted that he had used a death machine, and he knew he was going to freeze to death on a mountain. 
As long as he was posted in a desert, jungle, or urban war zone, he felt no fear. Then watching that broadcast, I realized for the first time that a forecast could be a gift. I arranged a session. I thought that if I knew how I was going to die, I could stop being afraid of everything. I didn't expect to find out when. Edie's a bitch, isn't it? For years, many had been sure the only reason no one had changed their fate was the death machine forecasts were too vague. They were proved wrong when the first exact date spat out. For the first time, a man knew not only how he would die, but knew when it would happen. The first ED knew he would die in a bus crash on the 6th of March, 2032. He prepared for that day. No matter what happened, he would go nowhere near a bus on the 6th. He booked himself on a yacht cruise. No way a bus crash could happen while at sea. A week before his predicted death, he was hit by a car and put into a coma. On the 6th, the hospital was forced to transfer him to a private clinic. En route, a bus slammed into the side of the ambulance. How about you? How did you find out? British Airways has all prospective pilots do a compulsory forecast just in case the death machine spits out plane crash. They told me I couldn't get the job because I was an ED and I had 708 days left. I wish they hadn't told me. Ignorance was bliss. Timothy reached into his pocket and retrieved another cookie. You want one? No thanks. I'm on a diet. Timothy's right eyebrow rose. I know. I'll be dead in 101 days. Why the fuck am I dieting? Timothy glanced at his watch. hundred days now. I just thought of something. You're not going to die in a plane crash. Why didn't you get the British Airways job? No one would insure me because I only had two years of life left. Isn't that illegal? Of course it is. Prejudice is just a reality. Isma stuck her hand into Timothy's jacket pocket in an action that struck him as surprisingly intimate. She fished out a cookie and took a tiny nibble, a bird bite. I was part of an Arabian student association in uni, she said. Every week we met and complained about the way we were discriminated against and treated like we weren't real British citizens. That made it hurt all the more when they found out I was an ED and started treating me differently. Not that they called me names or anything like that. They just started tiptoeing around me. No one knew why exactly, but for every thousand people who used a death machine, it only spat out an exact date for two or three. I hate the bloody pity, Timothy said. I had an abortion last year, Isma said suddenly. I wouldn't have lived to see my child's first birthday. I, I, I don't know what to say. I just wanted, I wanted to mention it in there, but the reverend, I wanted him to like me. Seamus isn't a cliche. He doesn't judge. I'm glad I didn't. It feels easier just to tell you. It's weird, but I feel connected to you. Timothy smiled humorlessly. Linked by fate and all that. How can you be cynical about fate, knowing what you do? Isn't that proof enough? I don't believe in fate, God, or anything. It's all random. Sure, the death machine can punch a hole through time and predict the results of the randomness. That doesn't make it any less random. So there's no God. No life after death. Zip. How can you stand living like that? Same as you, one day at a time. 100 now, 99 tomorrow. Look at me, Isma said. He turned, and their faces were only a few inches apart. Do you think we'll be together? He shrugged. Don't do that, she sounded angry. I can tell your I don't care stuff is an act. He almost lashed out with a fuck you, but it was harder to do while staring into her eyes. It was too dark to see their color. I don't want to die alone. 
Me neither. 97. Do you ever think we're trying to force something into existence? Timothy said to her three days later. They were on the grass at Piccadilly Gardens. It was so loud they were speaking with raised voices. What do you mean? The only reason we've seen each other the last two days is because there's a chance we could die together. I kind of feel like we're trying to create a meaningful relationship because, well, the alternative is dying alone. I look back at my life and it's been forgettable. Instead of a pilot, I'm someone who does data entry. I go to work at a place where my contribution makes no difference. I've left no legacy or accomplishments. I doubt anyone will miss me. Meeting you, there's so much pressure to make this work. It's like a last chance to have some semblance of, it's ridiculous and cheesy to say it, true love. If fate had somehow guided us to that, it would somehow validate everything else. Isma was quiet at first. You're looking for true love? I just thought we were going to be really good friends. Oh. Oh. Timothy's cheeks burnt. He wanted to crawl into a hole. Isma leaned forward and captured his lips with hers. 90. Isma hated her body. She thought her bones were big and awkward and her face was boring. Timothy told her she was beautiful over and over again. Eventually, he stopped trying. She insisted they make love in the dark. His fingers traced her figure, reading her contours like braille. On the inside of wrists that were usually concealed beneath bracelets, he felt raised ridges of twin scars. Yeah, she said offhandedly. I tried to kill myself. When? Four months ago. Paul had just left me. Nothing was the same between us after my abortion. The situation was so fucked up. I wanted to keep the baby, but I died right after she was born, so what did my opinion matter? Even so, I still could never forgive him for making me. Timothy kissed Isma gently, and she recoiled. Not right now. I'm sorry. Isma rose and went to the bathroom. Waiting for her to come out was torture. He was reminded that he knew nothing about her. She might step out of the bathroom and tell him to leave, or she might come out bawling and throw herself in his arms. When she did come out, she apologized. Sorry. This is just the first time I've talked about Paul leaving. We were together for three years. We were so happy. He never knew I was an ED until near the end. Three years. Timothy suddenly felt inadequate. My father found me before it was too late, Isma was saying. She looked down at the scars on her wrists. I had passed out. Do you still wish you were with Paul? Timothy asked. He wished he could take back the words immediately. How selfish of him to say that when she was telling him something so personal. I don't. We only have 90 days. No time to lie to each other. All right, then. I wish I were still with Paul. Isma came back to bed. The springs creaked as she sat. Don't you wish I were someone else? No. There was no one else. There never has been. In a Harlequin bodice ripper, that line might have been romantic. But in this room, in this place, it was an admission of how pathetic a person he was. She began to speak, but Timothy interrupted. No lies. No matter how much you think it might be what I want to hear. Okay. She took hold of his hand and pressed it against her cheek, right where he had kissed when she flinched. I remember when I had the shaving razor against my wrist. I thought I was cheating the death machine by choosing what day I would die. But I didn't really have a choice. Right now, though, this, between you and me, it is my choice. 
I know we're both going to die on the same day, but it could be in different fires on different sides of town. I am choosing you to be by my side at the end. I choose you. Being able to have some control, however small, is precious to me. Maybe I can't be that true love that would make it all worth it, but... Isma, Timothy said. His palm had descended from her cheek down the curve of her neck into her right shoulder. It's enough. 53. Obile spent her last night in the house she grew up in. It was a large three-bedroom in Didsbury. The carpets, chandeliers, paintings, and curios were all African. Her parents were immigrants who had fled South Africa and always dreamt of going back. Every object was an altar to their longing. Everyone came. Reverend Seamus Brooker brought a tiny bag with white powder in it. Krishna brought a plate of roast pork, wrapped up tight with cling film. Julie brought her guitar. Annabelle brought a cell phone. Hannah brought nothing. Benito brought a photo album. Timothy brought a piece of paper he'd paid 700 pounds for. Isma brought a bag full of clothes. So, the star-crossed lovers have seen fit to make an appearance, said Raymond, who brought a set of car keys. He was joking, but there was an aggressive undercurrent to his intonation. Star-crossed, Isma asked? Well, he's going to die trying to save you. What? Not necessarily, said Timothy. We might both die trying to save someone else. I'd like to think we'll succeed. Then our deaths will be more worth it. You considered this? Isma looked betrayed. Of course I thought it might be an option. Didn't you? If it is me, don't try. Just leave me. The death machine is always right. So far, maybe. Or maybe it's been wrong and nobody knows. You know that's not true. Please, if it's me, promise you'll leave me. Obile made her entrance. She looked even more beautiful than usual. Her hair was braided into long cascades, falling in a torrent halfway down her back, and the patterned kikoi she wore was a mesmerizing corolla. Her smile was radiant, akin to a child's. What's all the fuss about? Raymond sneered. Isma just realized she could be the one Timothy dies trying to save. Never thought she was dumb until now. Enough of that, ordered Obile. Today, it's all about me. If you want to act jealous and petulant, Raymond be jealous of me. If you want to argue, argue over who will get the privilege of sitting next to me. And tonight, you two are not lovers. I am the only one you adore. If I decide to have my way with Timothy in the attic, there'll be no complaints, okay? Bile smiled devilishly and walked into the living room where the others were finishing up the preparations. It's exactly how I dreamt it would be. No, scratch that. It is better. They had extrapolated the decorations for the living room from the first painting Obile had sold. In the painting, the Queen of Spiders presided over an intricate multicolored skein of webs. They had used dyed mosquito netting, gauze, and silk stretches of fabric to create the Queen's lair. I love you all said Mbile, and the festivities begin. As always, the reverend led the way. Seamus tipped some cocaine into an ashtray and shaped it into a line with his thumb. I don't know how to do this properly. His hands were trembling. Are you sure about this? Mbile asked. For you, my queen. He knelt and took a deep snort. Julie went next. She began to strum chords on her guitar. I'm sorry, I'm out of practice, but... No excuses. Saint Mobile. After one false start, 
Julie began to sing, and her untrained, gravelly voice spilt all over them. Five men and five women. Timothy noticed their symmetry for the first time. It made him wonder about fate. Was this all preordained? Julie was a stockbroker through and through, yet the song she was singing gave him chills, and its lyrics suited the night perfectly. Why had the only song Julie wrote as a naive sophomore with rock star dreams been about farewells? Coincidence? Fate? Or maybe she had cheated? Maybe this was actually a song she had just written. By the end of the song, Mobile was crying. I meant to store them all up for one big cry at the end of the night. Damn it. She pointed at Krishna. Get on with it. For you, my queen, he said, and stabbed a fork into a hunk of roast pork. He took a large bite and chewed. He winced as he ate. Allah be praised, said Obile, sniffling. Annabelle dialed her mother's number and waited. Answering machine. I'll try again later. Timothy stepped forward and knelt dramatically before Obile. He held out a proof of his purchase. Tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m., I'll be in the air for two hours flying an ATR-42. Not a Boeing, but close enough. Thank you, dear, said Obile. Now it's your lover's turn. Isma laid the bag on the floor and unzipped it. She took a deep breath. She pulled out a pair of baby-sized ballet shoes. I dreamt she would have been a dancer, so I bought her these. She would have been so graceful. She laid the shoes beside the bag and pulled out the blanket with a dragon embroidered into the fabric to keep her safe from monsters, her own personal, misunderstood monster. She pulled out a tiny jacket to fight Manchester's icy weather. She would have thrown snowballs at passers-by. One by one, she pulled out the clothes and told the what-if story. She was surprised she did not cry. The last item of clothing in the bag was a cloth cap with flaps to cover her ears. Annabelle tried again to get through to her mother's phone. Again, she didn't get through. Raymond tossed Obile the key to his BMW. Timothy wanted to smack him. They'd all put such thought and bared their souls. His big gesture was a car. Why the fuck was he in this group anyway? He clearly didn't care about anyone but himself. Thanks, said Obile. I'll take it out for a spin tomorrow. Now, Hannah. Hannah got up a 41-year-old as nervous as a debutante. She approached Obile with her arms open. For you, my queen, said Hannah. No, not this one, said Obile. This one's for your daughter, Helen, and that lover of hers whom you refused to meet. What was her name? Bea. Hannah had not even gone to their wedding. For Helen and Bea. Yes, for Helen and Bea. Mobile took Hannah in her arms and kissed her hard on the mouth. Afterwards, the still shaky Hannah said thank you to Mobile. After her third attempt, Annabelle realized what must have happened. I think my mother's blocked my number. Don't sweat it, said Mobile. Just make me a promise. Swear you'll go to visit her in person. If she doesn't let you in, smash the windows and climb in. Can't I just snog you like Hannah did? No. Benito groaned with simulated pain. Please, snog her anyway. Rubber tits. Okay, Puff, your turn. Benito leered lasciviously at Annabelle and at Obile one more time, and then he opened his photo album. Benito the clown, the rubber face, pointed at a photo of a boy, a girl, and a woman with horn-rimmed glasses. 
They never found out who did it, he said. They just found the bodies piled up with four others on the beach. He talked without pause for 40 minutes. 52. The shooter was a 17-year-old. He was being chased by two men in a red Corvette. He shot at them three times. One of the bullets missed and killed Mobile. While she lay dying, Timothy and Isma were in a plane soaring through the clouds. This is wonderful, said Isma, staring out from the cockpit. Though it would be better if you could do some flips. Aerobatics are overrated. They just make you feel nauseous. Besides, I wanted to be a commercial airline pilot, not a stunt pilot. What kid would rather fly an Airbus than an Air Force jet? Guilty as charged. Sexy uniform, Isma teased. Can you keep it? 47. I went to her funeral anyway, Seamus admitted at the next meeting. Bile had made them all promise not to go. She wanted their last memory of her to be the party. I thought about going too, said Timothy. Isma gave him a questioning look. He hadn't said a word. He had been different, though. He'd been more withdrawn and irritable over the last two days. She wasn't sure Mobile was the only reason. They went round the group. Everybody said a few things about how Mobile's death had made them feel. Benito's words hit the group's sentiment most accurately. I feel like the countdown's officially begun. Next will be Isma and Tim, and then me. One by one like that in a nursery rhyme. Ten green bottles standing on the wall, and then there were nine. On and on until in two years it'll just be Krishna sitting in this basement alone. Unless he finds replacements, Raymond suggested. You think we should just find a replacement for Mobile, said Hannah. She wasn't shouting, but her anger was obvious. That's not what I meant. Did you do it? Seamus asked Annabelle, eager to change the subject. Did you go to see your mother? It was an anticlimax. I expected tears or shouting or some other kind of fireworks, but we just talked cordially. Makes me feel like an idiot for waiting so long. If not for Mobile... I might have died without talking to her. Thank God for Mobile, said Seamus. He closed his eyes and whispered a prayer. It was the first time he had done anything during a session that called attention to the fact that he was a reverend. Afterwards, on their way to Isma's apartment, she shared one of her sillier insecurities. After Mobile's final night was so perfect, I feel like whatever we do for ours will be a letdown. Hers was so beautiful. She came up with something that was for her, but also a gift for every one of us. I have this recurring image of them meeting after we're dead and one of them saying, so that last meeting, total shit, eh? Probably Raymond saying it, right? Bang on. You shouldn't worry about it. Our last night will be for us. They will all be there to support us. Also, we'll only have a few hours of life left. We could decide to hold hands and sing songs by ABBA and it would be profound and meaningful. Do you have any ideas about what you want to do? Well, Timothy hesitated. Do tell. I spit it out. I was thinking of asking them if we could have our final meeting as a group two days before our last. I kind of just wanted to do something with you on our last night. Timothy's arm was around Isma when he had said this, and he felt her muscles knot. I think we owe it to them to share our last night with them. What difference would it make if it were one day earlier? Isma stopped walking and faced Timothy. No lies, he reminded her. She did a double take. She had been readying to pacify him. I want to be with them on my last night. You haven't even known them for that long. I've known you just as long, she replied, 
which was the wrong thing to say. You still don't love me, Heap said, which pissed her off. Why is it always about that with you? Stop being so fucking insecure. We'll be with each other day in, day out for the next 47 days. You'll die by my side. I want you to. And it's not like I'm saying I want to go off with some strangers on my last night. I want to be with the group which you are a part of. You're right. You're right, Timothy replied too quickly. Don't just say that. Listen to what I'm saying. I think I'll go to my apartment tonight. He disengaged from her and started walking away. Don't be a child, Timothy. He kept going. Fine, said Isma. She waited a few moments to see if he would turn around and come back. He didn't. 44. Timothy opened the door. He looked a mess. He was unkempt, unshaven, and looked like he needed sleep. I didn't think you wanted to see me again. You're an idiot. Isma walked past him into his chaotic apartment. You know what we just did? We wasted three days. I didn't enjoy them. Did you? No. Then let's not do it again. Agreed. The time we spend together is wonderful. Isn't that enough? Can't you just enjoy what it is? Do you have to compare it with ideal movie notions? What we have is enough, said Timothy. Isma wasn't sure she believed him, but she didn't want to fight. Go shower, she said. You need to get out of here. 31. I should have just lied to him, Isma said to Hannah at her house. Hannah had invited her to come and take a look at two paintings of mobiles that she had bought from an art gallery in Edinburgh. I should have pretended that it was some big epic love from the beginning. You would have hated that, Hannah said. I really wouldn't have. I don't have any qualms about lying. I can do it well. I can cry at will, hesitate, and do whatever it takes to sell it. He would have known. On some level, he would have known. That's what people always say. I never knew with Paul. I believed every word the bastard said. Are you going to contact him before the end? Isma shook her head. No. Maybe. I want to. I just... You don't want to hurt Timothy. That's not it. Nothing I can do can hurt Timothy. He does that all by himself. He loves torturing himself. I'm just an excuse. Then why don't you want to see Paul? He left me when I needed him the most. Pride aside, you want to see him. You should or you'll regret it. When you die, wouldn't it be great to have no regrets? Don't be all worldly, wise earth mother all of a sudden. It doesn't suit you. One of Mobile's paintings was of a robotic fisherman seated by a riverside. In the water, a strange three-eyed creature was approaching the hook. The other was a self-portrait, but she had given herself purple skin. 25. Hello? This is Paul Durache. Who's calling? Hello? Hello? 22. They had spent the day at the races. It was one of those things Timothy had never done. Between the two of them, they made a list. They were ticking them off one by one. Timothy was in a tux, and he was wearing a top hat, a ridiculous insistence of his. I don't care if I look like I'm from the wrong century. I'm going to do this posh, pompous ass thing right, no matter what you say. Going there was fun, but the actual races were boring. Nothing about watching horses run in circles remotely exhilarated Timothy or Isma. Afterwards, Isma gave Timothy an envelope. What's this? You'll see. It was a birthday card. Today's not my birthday. We'll be dead before I turn 28. They didn't have a special card for what I wanted to say. The message? He flipped the card open. Happy 528. What is 528? 
You're always saying how many days we have left. I don't think that's a healthy way of looking at it. We have 528 hours, or if you like, on the back page I've written how much time we have in minutes. 31,680. Sounds like a lot of time, doesn't it? I guess. 10,080. Now, now is when you call me, when I've got one week left. Isma wanted to be angrier than she was. It was good to hear Paul's voice. She'd missed his soothing baritone and his French-tinged accent. She had resigned herself to never hearing it again. I'm calling now. I wanted to call before. I just couldn't mount up the courage. Lame excuse. How have things been? Isma brushed aside his attempted small talk. Are we going to meet? Wow, that's very direct. The dying in a few days thing omits the need for bullshit. I'm out of town right now. Classic. Why do I bother? I'll be back next Tuesday. And after all this time, you'd think I want to spend my last night with you. You're as arrogant as ever. I'm sorry. I just, I just booked a flight to come back then because I knew it was your last day. If you don't want to see me, you're a bastard, you know? I should just tell you to fuck off. The sick thing is that, asshole that you are, I want to see you before I die. Maybe just so I can stab you in the eye with a fork. Take it easy. Not my last day. I have plans. Not Monday either. I promised that night to someone. Someone? Isma laughed. What? You thought I'd be a celibate nun pining over you ever since you left? Isma, if I had stayed with you, do you really think we would have been happy? Every conversation a fight. It would have kept going. I regret leaving all the time, but I think back, and I don't want to have this conversation on the phone. I refuse to. Sunday. Can you make it for Sunday? I can. 5,670. Isma wasn't as good a liar as she thought. Timothy knew immediately. He wasn't sure whether it was her body language or inflection, but something told him. He wanted to call her on it, remind her about the no lying rule, but he didn't. She wasn't looking at him. She, the big eye contact lady, wasn't looking at him. I know it's last minute, but Hannah and I have gotten to know each other much better than I would have expected. Maybe it's because I never really knew either of my parents, but having an older woman friend just makes me feel something intangible. Comfort, maybe, but it's more than that. This part wasn't a lie. Timothy had noticed at the last few meetings that Isma and Hannah had become close as family. It was just the I'll be meeting Hannah tomorrow part. I hope you don't mind, Isma said. Of course I don't. Why is she lying? Maybe she's planning me a surprise, he thought suddenly. He could see that. Hannah and Isma conspired to create something that would make him laugh until it hurt. 4,320. Nothing good can come of this, Timothy knew. Secretly following someone you were supposed to love and trust was always a stupid idea. It was like opening her diary. Whatever he read would be out of context and it would hurt no matter what it said. He should have just told her, I know you're lying. Tell me the truth, no matter what it is. He hadn't because he knew it was something bad. In fact, he was pretty sure he knew exactly where she was headed. You're paranoid, he told himself at first. Then he remembered the old joke, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get me. He followed her through the streets, 100 yards behind her. He was ready to duck behind something if she turned. She didn't. She was too focused on where she was going. It was too important to her. If I walked right in front of her, he thought, she probably wouldn't even notice me. 
She turned into Oldham Street, and he dashed forward so he wouldn't lose her. Why am I following her, he thought again. I know where she's going. All pretense in his mind that he wasn't sure was gone. I know, but I'm heading after her anyway. Isma turned into a cafe, and Timothy crossed the street. He knew what he would see, but he crossed anyway. Unless, maybe it would be something else. There was always the possibility that he was exactly as paranoid and childish as she said. That's why he'd followed in the end, because there was a hairbreadth of a chance he was wrong. He walked down the street until he was adjacent to the cafe. Isma was seated opposite a handsome, curly-haired man in a business suit. Timothy recognized him from the digital photos she had stored on her computer. Timothy turned and walked away. 1,440. What, you knew you were an ED when you decided to join the clergy? Julie's total shock made Seamus laugh. It was one of the main reasons I joined the church. To make sure you go to heaven? No, no, no. That was what his father had thought, too. Throwing what little life you had left away, his father had accused. Knowing I had very little time made me want to make a difference in the time I had. I understand that, Julie replied. Since I started writing songs again, I've been wishing more and more that I had never stopped. It would have been nice to leave behind something that people could play in the future, some sort of proof that I was alive. Seamus nodded. Everyone wants to leave a legacy. The two of them were the first ones there. The basement of the church had been freezing when they had arrived, but it was heating up. The church heaters wouldn't be able to make the basement truly warm, but that's what the alcohol was for. Benito came next, smiling like an idiot. With the exuberance of a child, he told them about a woman he had met. Does she know, Seamus asked? No. You should tell her. She deserves to know. Would you stop being a reverend for five minutes and just be a guy? I'm with you, Julie said. Better she never finds out. She has lovely tits, he boasted. Krishna came in next and commented on how when he went, this is how he wanted his last night to be. None of that new age stuff Obile did. Just some friends and some laughs. And booze, Benito piped in. The booze is important. Hannah came in next and the mood changed instantly. Her pallid face screamed that something was wrong. Have any of you seen Timothy in the last two days? No. Why? He was meant to meet Isma yesterday. He didn't show. Seamus clutched the crucifix dangling around his neck. Something bad must have happened. Did you call the police? Two days have to go by before you can report someone missing. And by then, he'll be dead. They asked Raymond and Annabelle when they arrived, but they hadn't seen or heard from Timothy either. Isma arrived at nine and she looked worn down. Looking at the seven of them sitting there, the last flicker of hope she had harbored faded. Maybe he was in an accident, Seamus wondered. No, Isma said. He decided not to come. Him not coming yesterday, I understand. But I still thought he would come today. Don't think like that, Seamus insisted. If Timothy could be here, he would. No. Isma hadn't admitted it even to Hannah. She had just told Hannah he was missing, not the reason she suspected he had left. I did something. I did something that hurt him. I don't know how he found out, but he did. That's the only explanation. He's somewhere alone and hurt because of me. You really shouldn't blame yourself, Hannah cut in. I saw Paul, Isma admitted, and the admission made her tongue feel like it was rotting. It was a chore to get the words out, but she forced them out. She told them, and she felt the self-righteous ones, Seamus, Raymond, Annabelle, judging her. Hannah took her side. 
You were with Paul for years. Of course you saw him. You're dying tomorrow. If Timothy was angry, he should have faced you, not run off like a coward. Isma just shook her head, and nothing anyone said could make her feel better. Benito suggested she try and make the best of it, but she replied, I just want to leave. I'm going to go home and have an early night. Hannah put her arms around Isma. You shouldn't let him make you feel like this on your last night. Stay, and we'll cheer you up. No, she said forcefully. I'm going. She said her goodbyes to the ED group, and none of the goodbyes were what she imagined. They all fell flat, even with Hannah. Hannah was crying, but Isma's eyes were dry. How did this happen? Isma asked Hannah before she left. I've only known him for three months. I shouldn't feel this. One week ago, if you told me this would happen, I wouldn't have thought it would affect me. Should I walk you home? Hannah asked. No, thanks, but I'd rather be by myself. She stepped out into the rain. When Timothy got to the church, only Seamus was still there, putting things away. He told Timothy that Isma had already left, so Timothy drove to her apartment. What would he say when he got there? He had no idea. A part of him wanted to confront her about Paul and ask for specifics. Why did she lie? Did she sleep with him? Did she still love him? Another part of him just wanted to be with her and not bring up Paul in any way whatsoever. The traffic was dense, which was unexpected for a Sunday. The cars moved at a crawl. Timothy wondered where everybody was going to or coming from. Yesterday, he'd been driving out, no particular destination in mind, just getting far, far away. He'd planned to go to another city, to get a hotel room, a lot of alcohol, a thousand-a-night escort, and whatever else he needed to make sure his last night was perfect, even without Isma. That had been the theory. In practice, he'd felt miserable and had not been able to stop thinking about her. So here he was, driving to apologize, grovel, scream at her. Well, something. I've got one day left, and I want to spend it with you, he whispered to himself. It's real romantic. Who could say no to that? Timothy turned round the corner to Isma's apartment block and he saw the fire. The top three floors of Isma's building were ablaze. Timothy looked down at his watch. 12.27. Half past midnight. No. He breathed as a realization hit him. This was it. This was how it was going to happen. Isma was in her apartment right now trapped and she would die in there if she wasn't already dead. If he went into the building to try to save her, he would die too. That was the prediction. This was how it was going to happen. The death machine had always been right, but that was because everyone had always known too little information, even EDs. But this time, Timothy knew everything. This was how it would happen. There wouldn't be two fires. This was the only one. All he needed to do to survive was to stand by and watch. That's how simple it would be to prove the machine wrong. All he needed to do was nothing. It's not like he could save her anyway. Timothy stopped his car just outside the building. He heard screaming from within. He stared up at the billowing flames and looked at the window he knew to be hers. She was in there, pinned under something or unable to run for some other reason. She must be so scared because she knew this was the end. She was in there, about to die. Waiting to die. Alone. Timothy got out of his car and ran toward the fire at full sprint. For more stories about the machine of death, 
visit our website, machineofdeath.net. This audio file is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means feel free to share it, send it around, or adapt it however you like. But please, don't sell it. I'm E.K. Amati. Thank you for listening.